Hi guys, Sam here. On the 1st of April, I'll be raising money for sick, disabled and disadvantaged Aussie kids by taking part in the Variety Spin for Kids Charity Day. Last year, I was able to raise over $500 as part of my team's $2,000 goal with a number of incredible donations from people around the internet wrestling community. This year, I hope we could do it again. Variety are a great charity that are able to step in when government support doesn't reach people in need, providing things like wheelchairs, communication and hearing aids, medical services, therapy and more for young kids. If you'd like to get behind Variety and support my ride, there will be a link in the podcast description and also on my Twitter. Thanks in advance, but now let's hit the music and get on with the show. Welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy today's show, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice, and make sure you check out all of the other great shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today is a writer for Pro Wrestling Musings and a very fun Twitter follow. His name is Wrestling Rhymes, Dan, and we're looking at a singles rivalry between Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen. How are you going today, Dan? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. It's it's fantastic to have you on. I've loved what you do on Twitter for a long time, so it's fantastic to to meet you and, and chat to you. Uh, one of the things that I love that you do is the uh, the counter that you had going with disqualification. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's one of those things I noticed um, a while ago. But it suddenly occurred to me that AEW had had so few DQs, so I thought, well, let's compare that to, to WWE, and I was actually quite surprised by the numbers myself. Um, I think yeah. at the end of last year, it got up to something like 91-2, I think the year finished, or something like that, in favour of WWE's disqualifications. So uh, I haven't actually been um, been keeping up with it this year so much. I need to get back onto that, but because AEW have slightly changed yeah. their approach this year, so they, they actually got up yeah, to we, Yeah, they, they started away. out the very first show. <laughs> The exactly. very first show, they started out with a DQ, and the first thing I thought was, oh, damn! <laughs> it's, it's, it's ruined yeah. my whole gimmick. WWE to the punch. At the end of last year, actually, I was cheering for WWE to try and make it to 100. I was like, come on! They were, so, they were close. They were close. Get to 100. <laughs> I mean, for them, it's not that hard. They've got three shows. They just need to do, like, one on each show a week, and they'll smash it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, look, uh, we're not here to talk about WWE. <laughs> Um, as I said, um, we're, we're actually here to talk about a whole rivalry today. Normally on the podcast, we talk about just the one match. Um, but today we're talking about the rivalry between Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen and the four singles matches that they had. Uh, and the reason that we're doing things a diff- little bit differently is I think this is such a great example of how you can build up a wrestler over time and how you can build up a rivalry and develop it across a number of matches. And I think by looking at all four matches at once, we're going to see how how well they did with this program. Uh, it's actually really fascinating to look at. Uh, and we're going to see how unique and how good 
<laughs> this program is. Uh, so strap yourselves in, guys. We've got a lot of stuff to cover. But as we always do here on the podcast, the first thing I want to ask you, Dan, is how did you get into AEW? Uh, well, when I was uh, before AEW started, there wasn't a huge amount else to watch in terms of what was easily available. So I, I was still watching WWE at that point. Um, but I'd already sort of started to veer away towards things like New Japan. Um, I watched Stardom quite a lot. It's probably one of my, my favourite promotions. Um, and I, I'd actually been going to uh, to Progress here in the, the UK before all of the uh, all of the unpleasantness with Progress <laughs> and how that all broke up. Um, so when some of those names started to be sort of attached to, to AEW, it was immediately very interesting. And obviously they had some of the big names. Um, I'd sort of fallen in love with the, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega in, in New Japan. Um, and it was just such a departure from... Uh, from what was on offer elsewhere in terms of western wrestling at least yeah. and obviously watched uh watched all in um and and that was superb i just enjoyed that immensely and it was unlike anything i'd seen in any of the uh the wwe shows mm. sort of around then um and, and that was it really and then i basically watched it from uh from day one it's interesting you're the first person who i've spoken to that specifically mentioned progress uh and it's easy to forget how big of a deal they were in particularly in the uk uh and how they were they were really doing some great stuff i know like for example if you're deep into into progress you would be very fond of the name jimmy havoc obviously like a name that is very tarnished now and progress itself is uh but it's it's easy to forget the how much came from there uh and and how much how much hype it had around it at its peak yeah, absolutely. And it, it provided such a platform for so many people. I mean, it, it, another name that's Will Ospreay. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Will Ospreay and, and people like that. And we'll, we'll go on to Muddy Scurl, talk about yeah. it later. But, you know, <laughs> so one of the, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, some all sorts of unpleasant so, folk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, people like Ossie yeah. Open, who are, who are sort of back, back in the, mm. the trend yeah. now, so a lot of them there. Um, and, and, you know, before, just before it all closed down, Cara Noir is the one who's sort of coming through now. And I expect to see him. Um, sort of being picked up by someone at some point um but yeah mm. it, it was very influential it's a very much a shame how it all how it all ended obviously oh. um mm. and, 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 yeah. and quite rightly ended well i'd say ended it's, it's still going and I, I did actually go to a show um last month the first time i've been since uh since it's shut down in its first guys um so it'll be interesting mm. to see what it does but it's certainly not the same thing anymore um but yeah no. it was a hugely influential and and in terms of sort of the match styles things that you see on AEW are much more similar to progress than they would be to wwe for example yep yeah absolutely absolutely we're here to talk about cody rhodes and darby allen and of course these two first met in 2019 uh when the promote very very early in the promotions history i wanted to just ask you about both of the characters in this um both of the wrestlers that are in this feud uh cody rhodes of course he was the heart of AEW at that point, he was the figurehead, the spokesman. Uh, he was very much the centerpiece, one of the centerpieces of the promotion. What was your opinion of Cody Rhodes in 2019? I, I loved him in 2019. I, I think you know, he's obviously become a, a very different character since then. Um, but I, I loved him as that front, that sort of head of the opposition as it was being built up. Mm. I mean, the, all the throne breaker stuff was all a bit silly, but. I loved it. I, th- I thought it was, you know, it was something that the wrestling world needed, really. And uh, and I think he sort of took that on his on his shoulders and became the real centre of it. And he was also having some superb matches. Um, mm. And just before, not long before this, the first Derby fight, I think, was the the match with Dustin, which yep. obviously was was superb. And yeah, I, I just thought he was a a great 
character at that point and uh, relatively straightforward at that point as well, which obviously mm. as we'll uh, yeah. see just across the, these four matches that that becomes less and less so with Cody and to, mm. sometimes to his detriment. But uh, but in 2019, I thought he was a, a superb character. Absolutely. He was in such a rich vein of form at that point, you know. I really jumped into the the elite in 2018. Um, I'd, I'd seen the Kenny Omega stuff in 2017 because Kenny Omega because it's Joe Carter. Um, but the the Bullet Club Civil War where the Cody and Kenny Omega stuff was happening, that was when I really got captured by these guys and got into the Young Bucks as well. And um, you know all of the ancillary <laughs> players that they had jumping up and popping up on BTE and started watching Ring of Honor. And then of course Cody had that incredible feud for the NWA Championship with Nick Aldis, which was it felt like something that wasn't happening in wrestling at the time. Um, that that particular program, the way the sporting way that they built it up, was really refreshing. Uh, and they also had lesser lesser known. Obviously, they had the the match at All In, um, but then lesser known uh, at the NWA. I think the 75th, 70 something anniversary show. They had an incredible two out of three falls match as well, which may have even been better than the first match, um, but doesn't get the you know, <laughs> yeah, sort of no, the, the plaudits just because it wasn't at all in. Yeah, uh, and then and then you have of course the Dustin match, which is just in, in, incredible stuff. There's you know me and me and the Doc Chad Matthews blabbered on about that for an hour a few <laughs> weeks ago now. Absolutely the high, some really the pinnacle of pro wrestling and probably the, the pinnacle of Cody Rhodes in many ways as well. So coming into like this program in absolutely blazing hot form and. Yeah, I I was really loving Cody Rhodes at this point against, you know, against my previous, uh, you know, a lot of my previous thoughts about him. I hadn't been a giant fan of him in the WWE. I thought he'd done some great stuff, but I hadn't been a giant fan of his. But, you know, he he proved myself and a lot of people wrong uh, with how incredibly white hot he was in 2019 uh, and the things he was doing heading into this. Uh, Darby Allen is the man across the ring. He was absolutely the the, uh, the lesser known act at this point. Had you seen anything from Darby Allen before you saw him in AEW? So I had seen him in Progress, in fact. So he'd been at the um, the Super Strong Style tournament. Oh, of um, course. Yeah. He was in that. He was in that, but it wasn't really a um, a huge sort of. Uh, stepping stone for him he, he lost in the first round of that tournament I think to Paul Robinson um, yeah. and uh, and was then involved in some sort of multi-man matches the next day um, yeah. so it wasn't a huge amount but you certainly got the idea of what sort of wrestling yeah. it was um, at that point you know obviously okay. the match with Paul Robinson was fairly crazy as, as most of them yeah. are with him um, and but you, you sort of certainly got that idea that Derby was pretty much willing to to do anything but other than that it, it was a very limited knowledge of him going into so, to AEW. So it wasn't progress where he fought Walter? Uh, I actually don't know it's not one I've seen I mean I, can, I, I can't remember having seen that but I can now imagine how that match goes almost to a T without having seen it to be honest just Derby being blown up across the ring by these uh, those Walter slaps must be quite a thing to see. Yeah he had a good the reason I bring up is is he had a quite a, a rivalry with it was a volve that he had it in there we go yep um so him and um walter had quite a rivalry and i'd seen the climactic match of that rivalry uh where darby actually finally got the win over over walter uh, and i'd also seen a match that he had with pentagon uh both of those were recommended to me by a, a good friend of mine who was very high on darby allen coming into AEW and was very excited to see his involvement 
What were your first impressions of Darby Allen? Obviously, you said you saw him in that match outside of AEW, but just, you know, in the build-up to this, in the lead-up to this, when you saw video packages and stuff, what did you think of Darby Allen? It was a very interesting character that they were sort of portraying. It, obviously, he was being portrayed very much as the unknown quantity here. Um, and, you know, in terms of the sort of type of wrestler he was going to be, they weren't giving a lot away. Because I'm, I'm right in saying this was his actually his first match, was it? In AEW? Yeah. Yep. Match. Yep. yeah I, was, I was looking at that thinking I didn't, we must have seen him before, but no, this was his uh, his first match. Um, so it was more of sort of the, the dark brooding character, the... Um, mm. You know, I think was it JR talks about having t- spoken to him on the day and he was, you know, um, a slightly bizarre character. <laughs> that, that's all you, they're giving away at that point. So uh, they sort of kept him quite shrouded in mystery, I thought, which was quite good for when you mm. then see him in this in this first match. Um, yeah, they, they actually sort of, I think they let the match do as much of the talking as anything else, which I think is um, quite a clever way of doing it. Yeah, and they didn't. It was interesting. They didn't use him at double. He was signed before double or nothing, but they didn't use him at double or nothing. And you know, they were they were scrounging around for people for that, that casino battle royale. Absolutely, so yeah. I'm sure the thought of him being in that crossed people's minds, but they made that conscious decision to leave him off this card because I think they it was clear they wanted to give him a proper introduction, which is what we're about to get to. Um, so yeah, let's let's jump into it. First match, Fighter Fest 2019. Um, we'll be give we'll give each match each match its flowers as we go on. Uh, this one, Big Papa Dave gave it 3.75. Cage match currently have it rated at 7.42. And in the AW match guide that we did back in 2021, this came in at 25th. Uh, so obviously, Fighter Fest 2019. It's only the second pay per view that the that AEW put on after Double or Nothing. The introductory video these guys had recaps the Cody vs. Dustin match and has Darby at the end of it saying that while he respects Cody, he's going to beat him. Uh, and it immediately cross, uh, it immediately puts across how Darby is someone who is just really com- and completely driven to do the things that he wants to do. Um, he is someone who, and we'll see this when he, as he wrestles as well, but he is someone who gives himself completely to his goals and what he wants to do. Uh, of course, he comes to the ring with a body bag behind him. <laughs> <laughs> and Exc- Excalibur explains the story behind Darby's face paint, uh, how his uncle died while while he was drunk driving um, when and, and Darby was in the car when he was very young uh, and how at that point Darby felt dead to humanity. And so that's why he, he paints himself. Cody comes out to an absolutely huge ovation with Brandy. As I said, he's coming off that fantastic performance against Dustin, so the crowd is absolutely into him. One thing that I thought was immediately clear during this introduction was that Darby gets how a camera works in wrestling. He's immediately, like, posing for the camera, eyeballing the camera. Uh, It's very natural. What did you think of the introductions that these guys got? Yeah, completely sort of opposite to each other but in a brilliant way um all that stuff that Excalibur was explaining around um Darby's face paint and his his history that's the sort of thing that I didn't know at all at the time that was all new to me um and a hugely important part of his his character and it was brilliant that they were putting all that across um and then yeah you've got the um the very much the opposite of Cody coming out with brandy on his arm fireworks all over the place you know very much the the star versus the unknown um as you said i, I think in the, the promo video 
uh, Darby said, I'm not going to kiss your ass. You, know, you, you might not know me, but as you said, you, I respect you, but but and then that's what we saw yep. in, the, in the match. Um, and so, again, you know, before they've even thrown a shot in the ring, they've really set these two up as um, sort of polar opposites um, that you really want to see uh, fight each other straight away. Mm, yeah. And, and I think they do uh, they do it in a really good way without without sacrificing Cody's position on the card, because um, obviously at this point, as we said, he's the face of the the promotion he's headed towards becoming the number one contender down the line. Uh, and so they do have to tread carefully in this because Darby Allen is a, he's a new introduced character and he's not someone who is on the same level as him, but they don't betray that the introduction, even though of course you do have Darby Allen who seems very fired up, very motivated. Um, it's still obvious that Cody is a huge star and a huge deal in this promotion. So when they lock up, it's immediately clear what the dynamic of these two is. Cody has the power has the power advantage. Darby Allen has the speed advantage. Um, immediately, Darby is able to outspeed Cody as they sort of chain wrestle, um, but Cody is able to overpower him. The interesting thing that I noted here, though, is that Darby is also able to technique Cody, which was something that I didn't think about until I re- did this rewatch, how often Darby is actually able to use speed combined with his sound technique um, to get an advantage. Cody is, as we said, he's got a power advantage and he's toying with Darby. What did you think of the way that these two first connected in the ring? So, yeah, as you said there, it's obvious that there's the, the strength advantage um, from Cody. And I think they build it up that there will also be the wrestling advantage. I, th- I think quite early on, I think it's Excalibur uses the phrase that that was pro wrestling 101 um, when mm. to explain something that Darby that uh, Cody's done, um, and that's certainly the way they're they're building it up. It, almost as if we we don't know whether Darby can wrestle at all um, in terms of technical uh, wrestling. And as you said, he, he shows very quickly that he absolutely can. Um, and it, it's interesting they they do build this up as sort of strength versus speed, but actually across the the four matches, the actual speed of Darby Allen, I'm not sure is the thing that is highlighted the most. I think you do get a lot of this technical wrestling mm. um, and, and sort of obviously the brutality of it as well. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I, I was expecting to sort of see lots of high flying bits from Derby early mm. on to really show him up, but actually that's not what they do straight away. They they actually show you that he's a good technical wrestler um, and you see mm. that perplexed face from from Cody after he's, um, I think he does that sort of arm bar, the top rope arm bar that he does. Um, mm. And then Cody's got a sort of perplexed face and say, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And, mm. uh, and I think that's the, the look they were going for. Yeah, it's interesting because Darby, the the person he most commonly gets compared to is Jeff Hardy. And and I think they've got they've both got that devil may care attitude. Absolutely. Um, they're both marching to the beat of their own drum. They both paint their face. But when it comes to the actual way that Darby Allen wrestles, I do think it's quite different to Jeff Hardy. I don't think it's a like-for-like comparison in the way that it often gets put over. Superficially, of course, absolutely. The attitude they have for life, absolutely. But from the the get-go here, it's clear that this is a guy who is very fundamentally sound and very technically sound and is smart the way that he applies the skills that he has in the ring, which 
combined with, I guess, this devil may care attitude that we're going to see, uh, it is a very potent combination. But as we said, Cody is the star in this match. He is in red hot form and he is a lot more powerful than Darby. You know, like the way that he rips him down um, when he does a headlock takeover, it's like he has no regard for Darby. Darby doesn't have to do anything. (laughs) He is just throwing Darby around. Uh, And you can see that even though he is being constantly surprised by Darby's counters, um, Cody is very confident himself in, in how he is going to get the job done. Um, And at many points just resorts to blunt power, brute force, and it's successful. Uh, And, and I, I love how in this, you see when Cody is, is laying in the punishment. I love how Darby sells. Um, It's so visceral the way he like moves his body around the way he flails bends fly like bends his body it's so visceral i I really like the way that he sells absolutely and the point around the power so after that first bit of wrestling where darby uh, where cody looks perplexed i think the first thing he does is basically hurl darby out of the ring via the ring post Mm. um and it's the first sort of sign of you know a lot of people would protect themselves in one way or another or but darby just goes straight out as mm. as a normal human would effectively and it looks as you said so much more painful and brutal than than mm. anyone else we've seen and then yeah he follows that up because after that there's a fairly lengthy sort of period where cody's in control of this particularly brutal looking sort of rib breaker that he does which it, again it looks like it sort mm. of darby just as you say folds up um yeah again i i think it's that reality it, it looks like how i would react if someone did that to me whereas <laughs> if you see it from a lot of wrestlers where you know well that, that's not how our body works but derby just looks mm. very genuine um and that's why i think you really get that within the first 10 minutes of this match yeah absolutely um and as we said of course cody is in control for the majority of this match because that's the that's the story of this match as we said at the start cody He's the star. He's in control, and he's bordering on taking Darby Allen lightly. In fact, he is taking Darby Allen lightly, and that is what will happen. That is what will ultimately um, cause this match to have the result that it does in the end. Darby does fight back though, um, so Darby fights back into the match, and he does it in like the most cool, scrappy way. He just goes after Cody's hand. There's this moment where he has a chance to like get Cody's hand stuck in the in the corner post, and after that, he just He's like a shark almost. He sees it and he just, everything at that point is going after Cody's hand. He, he's biting it, headbutting it, twisting it. He is so scrappy in the way that he goes after it. And I, I love that about him. It's it's so, he's so tenacious. And at the same time, as I said, like he's still selling and, and still in a lot of pain. Um, I feel like, often wrestlers will will do it they they'll almost try and understate their selling they they won't it'll be like they don't feel the pain but darby like if anything he leans into it more and it's not that he doesn't feel the pain he just refuses to give into it and he becomes scrappier and scrappier uh, as things move on absolutely interesting you point out the sort of the scrappy nature of him because again that's i think as, as we go across the four matches you see um the way he sort of targets a limb in each match I yeah think. again yep. going back yep. to that idea yep. that he's a, a technical wrestler well, well, as much as go- yeah we'll, we'll get to that later but, exactly, yeah. Yeah. but, but in, in this first match it's much more of a sort of a scrappy attack of the hand rather than mm. a sort of almost premeditated thought about it it's yeah it's 
um, the earliest stages of Darby Allen, where he's really um, sort of relying on instinct almost in this in this first match. Um, mm. But as you said, yeah, he he never forgets that he's well doesn't forget he's in huge amounts of pain, and that mm. feeds into everything he does. It, it's obviously a huge part of his character. Almost sort of feeds him going forward in the mm. matches to a certain extent he sort of needs feels like he needs that to to get going um, yeah well what's that that tattoo on his chest it's like it's not over until you're buried underneath yeah. the ground yeah they keep mentioning there's sort of the relentless tattoo as well and that, that's certainly how mm. he comes across and again re- remembering that this is the first time that so many people have seen him um that sort of word relentless is very much describes um mm. how he approaches this match and it's interesting the crowd does get behind Darby as well you know like this is a crowd that loves Cody Rhodes he's he's like the the savior of professional wrestling to this crowd uh but Darby when Darby fires up and when Darby has his comebacks the crowd is right behind him uh and this match goes quickly like it's it's 20 minutes obviously Obviously, it goes to a draw. Everyone who listens to this podcast is going to remember this goes to a draw. Um, but it goes really quickly. And I think because of um, the the way these two tell that story of of Cody being a bit overconfident but being in control and Darby Allen having these really surprising and scrappy comebacks, scrappier and scrappy as it goes on, the crowd really gets into it. Um, and, and that's really evident towards the end of the match. Um, Darby, of course, goes for a co- coffin drop while Cody is on the apron and completely crashes and burns. Cody rolls out of the way. Darby takes the full impact of the apron on his back, which gets a holy shit chant. Um, Cody then puts Darby in the body bag. <laughs> After that, hits the disaster kick. Uh, but that showboating, um, I, I thought that looked a bit stupid and turns out it was showboating. Uh, and that's when he should have been able to win this. And then Cody gets desperate um, because he realizes that the match is coming to a a conclusion and he hasn't put in a way Derby yet. Um, He hits him with the belt, manages to get a crossroads, but can't make the three count before the 20 minute time limit ends. Uh, What did you think of the ending sequence? Well, just the, um, the coffin drop onto the apron point. I I think that's probably the moment that made Derby Allen in AEW. That's his introduction to the world as a, crazy <laughs> crazy wrestler than yeah. he absolutely is just taking yeah. that bump is just insane and, and as you said the crowd react to it and that that's what they were going for and and i think that you know everyone will look back at the moment that uh, that he arrived in aw as the point where he missed a coffin drop effectively but um yeah but then and then from there as you said just cody becoming more dead he's been in, you know, in control of this match for large parts of it but he starts to just get more and more desperate as you say the the weight belts um which again is another trend we see across the the four matches um as we'll see mm. as we go on um and and the, i mean the body you're right the body bag section is quite odd it looks very strange and doesn't make a lot of sense until you, yeah you realize it's the heart of that him taking it him too lightly not uh, not doing what he needs mm. to not not getting the pin not um yeah. yeah, not being the pro and, wrestling 101 guy that, that he's been built up as, and Darby has forced him to go there. And possibly a little bit of the arrogance of Cody as well, because there's a tinge of arrogance to his character, even when he's a face. Um, there's like a, a level of arrogance to him where he's like, this guy has come out with a body bag with my name on it. I'm going to put him in his place. I'm going to put him in that body bag and finish him off with that. Um, and, of course, it doesn't work because it shouldn't because um, that's not what the heart of your company should be winning a match with. Um, but, yeah, it's all part of this narrative. Um, of course, going to a draw, this is a really brave move for the company. 
what did you think of the idea of going to a draw for these two match these two in Derby's first match in the company against you know the heart and soul of the company? What did you think of the idea of of that happening? It was you're right. It's very bold choice at start, partly because you are risking diminishing your top star in Cody, mm. partly because you're introducing a concept that isn't really in Western wrestling at the time. Like time mm. limit draws are obviously not a WWE thing. Um, obviously, people have seen them in um, in Japan um, and obviously through older wrestling. But yeah, it, it's a very new concept to introduce. Um, but it felt right, even at the time. Um, I, I, I don't think I ever expected the match to go to a time limit draw. Um, but and when it did, it did feel absolutely right. And by the time, by the end of the match, rather than having taken Cody down to to Derby's level, you've actually raised Derby up to Cody's level, um, which mm. I think was uh, obviously the, the aim of that match. Um, and I think it had the, the perfect impact. And obviously, and I, I think they did it with this longer term story in mind at mm. the time. Um, and that's uh, that's yep. just something that the AEW does does brilliantly. Yeah, a number of um a number of podcasts ago, um, one of the guys from the This Is Awesome podcast who I had on to talk about John Moxley uh, versus Kenny Omega in the exploding barbed wire death match, uh, he said a lot of what AEW was doing in its first year was teaching its audience how to watch it, and this is a this is a match that does that so well, uh, particularly with the time limit. It's something that they go back to when Dynamite starts as well. They have Pac and John Moxley fight to a time limit draw. Uh, and it's it's introducing the concept of um, the time limit and that being an important thing. And then we're now seeing that pay off and, and blossom in the matches that Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson had and then the match that Brian Danielson and Adam Page had. Uh, and, and that's now an integral part of the promotion is the fact that We've got time limits. We can use a draw and we can use it to to build a story and tell a story. Uh, and that was what this match did. Of course, yeah, as you said, like it did wonders for Darby Allen. Like this immediately introduced Darby Allen. Uh, first match he's ever had. For most people watching, this was the first time they've ever watched him. The only reason I watched those other matches with him in it was because I knew it was going to be here. And I had a mate who recommended these matches as like a, this is who Darby Allen is, watches, watch them to get to know um, who he is. And it immediately establishes him as a, a huge deal in the company uh, and someone that is going to be a big deal going forward, a, a young up and comer, uh, much in the way they will do so with MJF. Uh, and then when they introduce Sammy Guevara into the inner circle and later on as well, when with Jungle Boy establishing those four pillars early on, Darby Allen has, you know, a really, really pitch perfect introduction. Uh, before we get on to match two, I just want to bring up something that happened a bit ancillary to this feud. But Sean Spears, we may never talk about him on the podcast <laughs> again. He makes his debut after this match with that huge headshot with the chair where Cody um, it went a bit wrong and it kind of pulled up Cody's skin a bit and Cody was bleeding so badly. Um, this was a really controversial thing at the time. Uh, and because we may never talk about it again, I just wanted to get your take on it and, and what you think of it. Uh, and what you thought of that headshot um, at the time. Yeah, it's one of those things that worked for AEW, didn't it? Because, you know, mm. it gave you that horrible visceral shot of Cody, bits of his head falling off effectively mm. from a, you know, a failed gimmick chair. Mm. Um, but it, again, a very risky thing to do early on. Like, everyone knows the issues around headshots and mm. chairs. So it, to, uh, sort of, to try and bring that into your storyline and, you know, pretty close to day one uh, was very bold. And it, you know, 
almost went disastrously wrong for them. You know, mm. That could have been much worse for, for Cody. And who knows where. So you, you can still see that scar on his head these days. It's, it's, you know, it's something that couldn't have gone more wrong. Um, but I mean, it, it, it's a gimmick that Sean Spears still lives to this day. So it obviously worked. <laughs> in that sense. Um, you know, he's, I can't imagine that he was thinking he was going to be linked to that chair for three years when he hit that shot. And that probably wasn't <laughs> the plan. Um, but uh, I suppose that's a sign of, of AW reacting sometimes to their mistakes and, and making things um, making things work. Mm-hmm. But the, the other fascinating thing about that that bit at the end of the match is seeing MJF still as a sort of baby face. Um, mm-hmm. He's still on Cody's side at this stage, uh, so he's the one rushing to Cody's side to uh, to look after him with Brandy. It's just particularly seeing what we've seen in the last week or mm-hmm. so. It's, um, it's it's fascinating to see that development as well. Yeah, well, I mean, the funny thing about that, though, is, like, a whole bunch of people rush out, like, SCU rush out, um, you know, like, these people from BTE that have not shared the screen with Cody since, possibly, <laughs> but at the time were sort of linked to Cody, they rush out, and they're, like, trying to help him, MJF, like, shoes them off, because he's still a yeah. prick, right? <laughs> he still wants everything yeah, yeah. to be That's about nice him. Thing. He's like, no, no, he's my friend. I'm going to be the one that helps him. <laughs> because we all knew he was a bad guy anyway from bte like they they weren't hiding around that but it's yeah it's uh it's actually what's quite interesting about watching these four matches again you actually see stories that have nothing to do with cody and darby Mm. developing behind and again i'm sure we'll uh, we'll talk about that as we go yeah yeah okay we we will move on um to match two we're going to probably just just for the listeners we don't have time to do the full in-depth review of every of all four matches, so we're going to sort of brush over matches two and three a little bit uh, to to focus on match four. But it's it's definitely worth mentioning a few things from from match two and three. Uh, match two, of course, happened on January first, um, twenty twenty, the New Year's Dynamite, which uh, was almost a bit of a reset button for the company after a, a rough couple of episodes in December. Uh, it's funny looking back at that, how um, we've now seen how the cycle works in many ways for AEW, how they'll like heat things up and cool things down. And it, it, it's it's interesting to see how December's never been a great month for, I think I've ever had like a banner December uh, for AEW, but at the time we didn't know that. And at the time, of course, the stakes were quite high in that they hadn't signed a, TV deal that they will sign in January 2020, uh, which would probably go on to, to keep them afloat during the pandemic. But the the Dynamite January 1 was was a big deal, and this was the first match on the night. Um, Cody Rhodes versus Darby Allen. Dave Meltzer gave it four stars. Cage match rated 7.55. Didn't come in in the AEW match guide. We'll, we'll talk about which one we was best at the end. The the framing of this match was the uh, how the Elite had been losing since AEW started. Of course, Cody lost the match with Chris Jericho at Full Gear 2019. Kenny Omega lost to John Moxley. The Young Bucks were had been beaten by a Private Party in the first round of the Tag Team Championships thing, and they were you know they had that final segment where they got beaten up by the Dark Order. Um, so the the framing of this whole thing was: Are the Elite still winners? Are they still the Elite? And it's interesting to see Cody being sort of bundled in with the elite still at that point. He is sort of kind of splitting off um, because the first thing we'll see is on the debut of Arn Anderson, uh, introduced as the head coach of the Nightmare family, but still bundled in with the elite group at that point. And 
this match, uh, I think it immediately sets up sort of a similar a similar thing. Cody Rhodes gets the best with shoulder tackles early, but Darby Allen is able to use his speed and, and technical ability um, in the chain wrestling early on to, to even the score with Cody getting directions from Iron Anderson on the outside. Just generally with this second match, what did what were your thoughts on it, Dan? Oh, it was interesting you were saying there about this sort of the, the repair job that AEW were doing here after that disastrous, the, the fake punches and the strange <laughs> blood and all, all of that that went on on that December show. And, and it seems it said, seems such, like such a small thing <laughs> at the time. It was a big deal. It felt, it felt big, big, didn't it? And, um, and, you know, and they opened with Cody to, to fix that. And that, again, shows where still where he was at that time, mm. um, but also where Derby had come. Like they wanted Derby to be part of that uh, that rebuilding job that they had to do. Um, and as you said, it, it's part of the development more of Cody here, I think, than uh, than Derby, because you see Arn Anderson be involved. And I'd, again, forgotten that this was the first time we saw Arn Anderson with Cody, uh, which is yep. a, a huge development, and again, a huge part of the storyline across the four matches. But yeah, it, as you said, the start is quite similar. Um, you get that strength to strength. There's, you can see more wrestling from Derby, I think, in this match than you do in the the first one. They've obviously already established him as a as a great wrestler at this point. Um, but you see some very similar um, spots. So the point I mentioned earlier, where he gets he hurls Derby sort of through the ring post, almost. Mm. We see exactly the same spots in in this match. Um, but Darby reacts to it completely differently. He fights back at that point. Um, we've seen there's a sort of really violent leg sweep on the on the outside, um, and I think that's one of the first times we see his sort of insane suicide dive as well in this match. Yeah. Um, which I don't think we've seen in the first match. So there, there is sort of certainly development around it. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's more of a Cody match than a Darby match. This one, I think. Mm. Um, and and you see that as a down to, towards the end mm. um, when when it's Arnu who helps him win the match effectively. Mm. I did like early on they both tried just in terms of differences from the previous match. I did like that early on they both tried to hit their biggest moves early because obviously the first match went for a draw. So they both try and get off big moves. Darby goes for um, sort of the standing coffin drop where he jump springboards off the ropes and hits a coffin drop chop and drop to his standing opponent. Cody catches him and tries to go for a crossroads at that point. So obviously both of them are, are trying to make sure that the result they had previously doesn't happen. Uh, we mentioned the first match, Darby goes up, like really relentlessly goes after Cody's hand. And in this match, Darby really relentlessly goes after Cody's shoulder. And this really caught me off guard. The fact that Darby in this, and we're going to see in the third match as well, he is the one that's going constantly going for a limb. He's finding a weakness, and he's just relentlessly targeting it. And obviously, he's he's smaller than Cody. He's lacking that power, but he is making up for it with his wrestling IQ and his scrappiness and his relentless doggedness and willingness to just do anything he can to target the weakness that he has identified. You know, like he's ripping off the turnbuckle. He... He just goes after that shoulder uh, in a way that is, you know, very, very deliberate and and determined, and it, it helps put over both of them, really. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, as you said, I think it's more methodical than in the first match. Um, that that mm. sort of scrappy attack on the hands in the first match felt like a, mm. a sort of more of a desperate move. This feels more like a, a wrestler who knows what he's doing. He's found that weakness and he targets it. Um, and yeah a very methodical approach and as you said it, it's something we see uh, further on in, in the two matches and and agree with you it wasn't mm. something 
I associated with Darby Allen really until watching these matches mm. again. This idea that he's um yeah, the wrestling IQ, the fact that he will focus on a limb, um, the sort of Bret Hart approach to to wrestling that you just don't really necessarily link with with Darby because of all the other stuff that he does. Mm. Um another big callback is is towards the end of the match. Um there's a huge avalanche code red very close near fall. Uh, and then Darby does his over-the-top stunner, uh, which gets Cody set up for a coffin drop. Cody rolls to the apron. Of course, at the point that point was where Co- was where Darby crashed and burned in the last match. Darby thinks about it and goes for it anyway because it's Darby Allen. That's who he is. He's not going <laughs> like he doesn't care that he missed the last one. He's still going to go for it anyway. This time he he hits it, but Cody gets the knees up, um, and it sort of I guess damages them both. Back in the ring, Cody goes uh, – sorry, Darby goes for another stunner, um, but Cody catches him into the crossroads. Really cool counter um, where Darby flips over and, and at the last minute Cody catches him for the crossroads, gets a two count. Cody charges into the exposed turnbuckle in the corner uh, and Darby goes for another coffin drop and tells Cody to put up his knees. Um, and then Cody, after the after the knees go up, Cody manages to get a roll up for the win. Um, what did you think of this match all up? It's a great match. I, I think it's more of a pure wrestling match than the first one, partly because you're not doing yep. as much introductory work for, for Darby Allen, mm. I suppose. Um, yep. The people know who they are, so they are able to go uh, 100% their own way um, in this yep. match. And I, I do love that, the, the lore of the coffin drop that they build into this yep. feud. Um, yep. In that moment where, yeah, he, he hits the coffin drop on Cody and it's still quite unclear whether the knees come up mm. deliberately when they're on the apron or whether it's just to, yep. you know, if you coughing drop someone on the apron you're going to hurt both people anyway um yep. and uh and yeah, as you said the fact that it's arn anderson who has to tell cody what to do on this one mm. so even though cody ends up winning it still feels a little bit like it wasn't cody winning it and, and it's something that's I think yeah we'll talk about it in, in the video package for the third mm. match um i think darby allen says um i didn't lose to cody i lost to arn um yeah so it's still keeping it's still protecting Darby mm. Allen, whilst also getting your, your big star a, a big win. Yeah. But you feel like in this match, Darby is slowly, he is getting closer to that win. Like the first match, he was probably never going to win it because Co- even though that ended in a, in a draw, that was Cody's fault for taking Darby lightly. In this match, Cody does not take Darby lightly at all. Um, he's trying to get the win from the start and he does get the win and he should get the win um, and it takes 17 minutes, but he gets it. But Darby, you know, he's had at this point, he's now had a match with Chris Jericho. Um, he's had a match with John Moxley. He is developing and he is building and he got closer in this match. He hit, he got Cody into a position to hit the coffin drop and Cody managed to get his knees up, which was the way that Cody won um, was to get those knees up. Darby inching closer. You know, this is a generational thing. At the moment, Cody is definitely still the one that's winning and he's still ahead of Darby, but Darby is is getting closer. It's interesting to see as we move into match three, how that plays out again. Um, Of course, match three dynamite. It's the TMT title tournament, the semifinals of that tournament, April 30, 2020. Uh, This one wasn't rated by Dave Meltzer. uh, Didn't make the match guy. (laughs) Did get 6.64 in cage match. Uh, This is of course the one that they did uh, at those Georgia tapings. So it's in QT Marshall's gym. This is actually the first match that we've gone back to on this podcast that happened in that gym. We have looked at the, uh, 
the gym in Japan that they wrestled in, in that, uh, in the, the FEMA, in the Japanese side of the, the women's contender tournament at the start of 2021. This is the first time we've gone back to the Georgia tapings that they had um, when the pandemic first hit and everything locked down. Just before we get into the actual match itself, what did you think about going back to, to the Georgia, the Georgia warehouse? It's, yeah, it's, it's looking at the darkest timeline of a little bit, isn't it? When you go back to these yeah. matches, it's, um, yeah. it, it's, it's quite, quite, you know, disappointing and i suspect that feeds into some of the low rankings on cage match for example like it just didn't feel yeah this is still very early on in um in mm. covid times um not yeah. we've, what, like had a couple of weeks almost of, of wrestling you know in in these empty stadiums mm. at this point um so it well, that's it why didn't, Dave it didn't, didn't feel like wrestling. It. Exactly. Didn't any yeah. of the matches. Yeah. It, it didn't feel like wrestling in in a lot of ways. And and actually, I, I think this match is an anomaly in the the four. And they do a lot of things quite differently in this match because of they're still learning how to do um, crowdless wrestling at this point. Mm. Um, so it, yeah, it's uh, it's not nice net really to go back and and look at. But um, but I think they do yeah. a a pretty good job with it. It's funny in my mind, I've sort of I'd sort of rose-colored glasses this era, and I, I sort of <laughs> love the story of it, the way they were able to like pull it all together. Because um, I'm not sure if you've heard the, the story or if the listeners have heard the story, but they had a they had a, a taping in Jacksonville at the stadium in Jacksonville at Derby's place, and, and then they found out that Florida was going to get shut down, so they rushed to Georgia. They could only get 20 percent of the the team to Georgia and they within two days of just working full time they put together six weeks of TV uh and I I don't know for me I sort of I love the story I love like the idea of them just doing what they can you know like you've got Chris Jericho on commentary with Tony Smotty you've got Cody on commentary you've got these random people in the crowd like Pineapple Pete from this era and and like I think of these things that I I think back with rose colored glasses, but <laughs> honestly going back to it, it, it lost its charm within like three minutes uh, yeah. being back in this warehouse. <laughs> Delighted to see Pineapple Pete though. That was a yeah a reminder of some some yeah. of the good parts that they were able to do with uh, with that yeah. period. Yeah, yeah, and I, I ended up watching some of the rest of this this show, and you know you had the Dustin Rhodes Lance Archer match, which was also you know it was good to watch, and you had Mr. Brody Lee. Uh, it's, it's a weird, it's like it's a weird blemish on, not a blemish, but a weird moment for AEW. Yeah. It's a weird moment for wrestling in general. Um, but yeah, as I said, it very quickly lost its charm. But this is a good match still. Um, and, and we will talk about the actual match itself. Uh, so same pattern as before at the start. Darby is technical and fast. Cody is stronger. Um, but this time, it's the knee that Darby goes after. To- Cody kind of tweaks it as he um, comes over for a counter uh, and Darby notices it and immediately like goes for a, a shoulder block on the knee. I guess there's, there's a few different turning points in this match, but um, I don't know for me that that's where like the momentum changes for Darby at that point, Darby is very much in control, which is different to the, the previous way things have started. Darby is the one that's actually getting the momentum early. Um, but when Darby runs into Brandy, after Cody dodges uh, a running shoulder block on the outside, uh, that's when sort of things flip around. Just in, in general, what did you think of the the way that this match built up and then I guess how it related to the previous matches that these guys have had? So I think, as I said earlier, that, that there's some definite differences in this match to the other two. And I think that's probably through necessity of the COVID era. Um, mm. that they needed to put a bit more bells and whistles around it because, um, you know, a, 20 minute match where you build up the technical wrestling it, it just wasn't the 
environment for that, I don't think, at, mm. the, at the time. Um, but you, obviously, they were still feeding that in. As you said, we, we got this time the, the focus on the leg from Derby, um, which, again, further development of him you know, as a very technical, very methodical wrestler, whilst also being this um, relentless character who will throw himself into you at any, mm. any opportunity. But, yeah, I, I think the the Brandy bump then ch- completely changes the dy- dynamic of the match because then we see angry Cody from mm. then on, which is not something we've really seen in the first two matches, um, which sort of provides an interesting different dynamic in this this third mm. match, the first two. Yeah, and you think about Cody's demeanour across the matches. You've got, like, overconfident, taking him lightly, taking him seriously, but it's, you know, this is a professional wrestling match, to this is now, like, personal and you got my wife, I'm pissed off at you. I think one of the things that I think where I think this match doesn't work as well is even though Darby is like going after the knee quite relentlessly, like, you know, there's a bit where he's like just headbutting, (laughs) which, you know, as we've said, like technical, but also really scrappy at the same time, you know, he has like that pin that he does, um, the, like the last supper, um, and it's a really technical pin, but at the same time, he also will just headbutt the knee at the same time. <laughs> but I I know knee matches, I feel like of all the limbs to work, the knee is the most difficult. I think very few wrestlers really sell it all that well. Not everyone can be Bret Hart getting his leg kicked out of his leg. Uh, and in this one, I think Cody does a pretty decent job. You know, early on, he he's not letting it show too much, which is how it works in a real fight. You can't immediately stop walking the first time your knee gets hit out. But as the match progresses, it gets worse and worse. But just because, you know, you still need to be able to get around a ring and do your moves, it does end up being slightly selective. So I do think that that doesn't that particular element, even though it works for Cody uh, for Darby's character, doesn't work in the actual match itself. Also, the ads in the middle of it. They also took me out of it in a way that it didn't for the previous one. Um, they yeah. they really detract from the presentation of this match. Which, which again, presumably you know, is a, what are you a COVID do? thing. Because they didn't, presumably didn't even yeah. do picture yeah. picture for this, which because normally, yeah. um, and, you, know, you can understand why you're not going <laughs> to put, yeah. put them through any more than they absolutely had to at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. It, it's it, it, it's completely different to the others because you don't get that flow. Yeah. You get four minutes of yeah. the match that you just don't see. Yeah. Um, but there's a, some interesting contrast. Derby hits a crossroads in this match, um, which is a new development. Uh, and then, of course, we get the ending. Uh, and interesting, the length of this match is 20 minutes and 11 seconds, which I thought was interesting given the fact that they had the 20-minute draw early on. Obviously, they this one wasn't done under a time limit for whatever reason. I'm not sure they never gave a kayfabe reason, but the time for it is 20 minutes and 11, which I don't know if that's intentional or not, but it's nice symmetry-wise. As we're saying, though, like Darby is catching up with Cody, and that's really evident in the final ending here. Cody hits a a coffin drop off the top rope, um, but Darby gets his knees up, which is, of course, uh, a reflection of what happened in their second match. But when Darby has Cody dead to rights, he hits the coffin drop, and Cody just manages to turn him over and move him over and position him as a... In a, in a crucifix position almost, a crude crucifix position, and gets a three count after being hit by the coffin drop. What did you think of the ending? At the time, there was a lot of people who did not like the ending to this, um, but what did you think of it? It's one of those, it looks clever in hindsight, and I think it does work within the story of this, but I, I mm. again, I remember at the time people being a bit confused by it, and I'm not sure mm. if it quite went the way exactly they meant it to. I'm not. It, it just looks a bit odd that Cody 
sort of took that coffin drop and then was ju- just able to mm. roll him over without and it, it's not even as if he had him sort of tied up either that's the thing um mm. it, it's, it's a slightly odd one um but again it, it does work in the story that as you said Darby is inching closer and closer to getting that victory. Um, so he's mm. had a, a draw where he was probably dominated quite a lot, but in the first match, second match where he uh, has a lot more of the action and effectively only loses because of Arn Anderson. Third match where he has a lot more of the match. Um, I think mm. in this one, that, that's definitely the case. There's a lot more um, mm. Derby offense in this one than in the previous two. Um, and then he just loses out on sort of almost a slight technicality at the end. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I do remember at the time that it was a, it was a bit odd um, and it didn't feel like it had quite gone gone to plan almost. Mm. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, as you said, the, the fact that they are using each other's finishes um, in this match is interesting. That That's a development and it, and it shows that these two are almost sort of inextricably linked at this point to each other um that they are in yeah. each other's so much um that yeah. they will use each other's each other's finishes and, and that's a really good uh good development within this it does have the slightly weird tacked on bit with brandy coming back out with the water and um and which again i think is probably again more to do with the fact that they, they had time to fill really and you know, yeah technical wrestling wasn't really what was um what was needed at the time and it's also mm. a very bizarre moment in this match where um, Britt Baker hits Cody with a shoe, yeah. which I couldn't remember what was going on there. That the developing feud between Britt Baker and Cody, or whether she was just hitting people with shoes at, the point, at that moment or not, it was uh, all a bit odd. <laughs> but, yeah, I think they're just throwing everything against the wall. Exactly. And what's yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. I do love that. Tony Schiavone knew exactly what was happening, but but Chris Jericho was like, we still don't know what's actually happened there. We don't know that it was a shoe or not. <laughs> just. They're just trying on anything at this point. And, I mean, that's why I just, part of me, even though, as I said, actually watching this back, going back to the Georgia place, I don't really want to go back there again. I don't know if I ever will for this this project. I don't think there's any other matches from that period that, um, you know, really struck a chord at all. Uh, and, and even this one didn't. We're talking about it within the, the larger feud. But, I don't know, I'm a romantic. And I just love the, <laughs> I love the, the ramshackled nature that you've got. Uh, that you know that Brit and Cody interaction is is that in a in a nutshell I I'd, I'd never even thought about <laughs> until it <laughs> happened and uh, until I saw it again but yeah look let's let's move on we'll move on from Georgia the Georgia tapings back to Derby's place for their fourth match at full gear 2020 um, before this match um, of course both had sort of gone on a few journeys uh, out, outside of facing one another. Um, Darby had tried and failed in AEW title shot against John Moxley. Um, that's another fantastic match. But he did have sort of successful feud against Team Taz. We would eventually come back around to that after winning the TNT title. But at this point, he had sort of been done with that and, and beaten the guys from Team Taz. Cody, of course, had won and lost and then won the TNT title again in some of what I would think is the best work of his career. Just before we get into into this match, because it's it's actually the first TNT title match we've talked about on this podcast. What did you think of Cody's run as TNT champion? I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Mm. It introduced um, this sort of TV challenge uh, element to it, um, which was, was superb and I, I think fits Cody's character as, as brilliantly as well. It obviously introduced us to the likes of Ricky Starks, Eddie Kingston, um, Warhorse was probably the the outlier there. That that one didn't go quite as well, but still. Um, and and then obviously you had everything with the um, the Brody Lee 
feud, which yeah. was just superb. It's when he destroys him in that, in that match and takes the TNT title. It's one of my favourite moments of AEW history, to be honest. So yeah. I, I don't know if it came up in the uh, in the ratings because obviously it's quite a it low. Did. Yeah, I was going to say because it's such a um, such a short match. There's obviously not a lot to it, but it's more of a moment than anything else, and uh, and it's one of my favourite moments certainly. Um, but yeah, I think Cody had really elevated this title to to make it feel hugely important. Um, and that's where we uh, that's where we sort of find ourselves on this match as well. Yeah, in terms of the the match guide list, you've got both of the Brody Lee matches showing up in it. So even that squash match, which was just it, that was a flabbergasting moment, such an epic moment of professional wrestling. Um, and then the dog collar match, of course, afterwards was fantastic. From that TNT title reign, you've got this match. Uh, and then you've also got the Eddie Kingston match um, made it into the top 50. So that's just some fantastic work. It was a, a really incredible run. It was exactly what what uh, the TNT title needed to be established as a huge deal within the company. Uh, and, yeah, the the cherry on top was the Brody. well, better than a cherry on top. Like, yeah. the Brody Lee stuff was just incredible. Uh, and then this, I, I think this is probably the cherry on top, honestly. Um, so match four, Darby Allen versus Cody Rhodes for the TNT title at Full Gear 2020. Um, Dave Meltzer rated this 4.25. Um, Cage match rated this 8.03. And in the match guide, it came in at 23rd. So uh, we've got a fun video package to start things off, sort of detailing what Cody Rhodes has been doing, detailing the rivalry these guys have had, and then some random bits that I'd completely forgotten about with Steve-O from Jackass <laughs> announcing that Darby Allen was going to be the one challenging, and then Darby Allen skating with Tony Hawk, you know, cool stuff, but I'd, I'd completely forgotten that had happened. Um, both of these um, guys get really cool entrances. Darby rides in on a busted-up car. He's, like, hanging out the window with his skateboard, and his skateboard reads, reads the face of TNT, um, and then he just, like, smashes that into the windscreen of the car when it stops. And he also had, like, really epic paint on at that point. It's like a tree, um, a black tree coming out. Uh, and the face of TNT stuff is, of course, related to the fact that one of the questions going into this was, can someone like Darby Allen be the face of TNT, you know, compared to Cody Rhodes, who is obviously a very different kind of guy. And then Cody uses up his con contracted percentage of the pyro budget uh, and has, like, the <laughs> entire Nightmare family out there with him. Um, what did you think of the – oh, also, big thing, this is the first time that he was able to use the Rhodes surname. What did you think of the intro for these two? It's fantastic, the video package here. As you said, you've got the, the full Cody entourage situation in this point where I think yeah. he comes out in the middle, doesn't he, here? Because he hasn't actually been able to come out yep. in his big solo middle cage thing in any of the other matches so far. But we, we see that here. Mm. Um, there's all, hundreds of people with him. <laughs> it's just, it's all, yep. um, all say even more bells and whistles than we've seen elsewhere. It, it actually builds up throughout these four matches. It sort of comes out with just Brandy, then he has Arn, then he has Arn and Brandy mm. in the third match, and now it's everybody. Yep. <laughs> so it's very much like this. Yeah. Um, but also he's much more um, sort of heelish in his video promo. He he talks mm. about, um, I've been dad, uh, Darby's daddy on more than one occasion. I've beaten him handily. Mm. Um, and again, that flows into how he approaches the match. Um, I think we're mm. fully in the, the period here where, the, the, of, of the Cody verse, where we weren't sure if he was turning heel or not. We'd had the the hair color change mm. during the Brody Lee stuff. I think everyone was 
questioning is he going to go heel is he not um mm. so i think that, i think that sort of feeds into these sorts of promos that we we're getting from um yeah. from cody and then and say darby obviously now coming to his own with his the, the black and white videos were very much synonymous with him at this point even if they did mm. have people from jackass and them yeah um and, and as you said the car the riding in the car that was it's just very cool and they used that mm. a lot in, uh, in daily's place but this was a, a particularly yep. good good use of it yeah yeah he um they hadn't had this kind of a big entrance thing before um they sort of got a spotlight entrance in their first match uh the the second match of course was jacksonville set up the the way that jacksonville is now the crowds are back because crowds were then so you've only got the one small entrance ramp uh and then of course the georgia tapings they you know they were limited by the fact they were in a warehouse uh but this was you know a real big time feel I wouldn't necessarily say they were in the Cody verse at this moment. Um, Cody Rhodes at this point was still very much interacting with the rest of the roster. I would say this is probably the last match we got before he went into that, though, um, mm-hmm. because after this you have him spinning off to other things. But let's talk about the actual match itself. Um, although <laughs> I do I do love just how insane Cody's pyro was in this. Yes, My joke yeah. is that, like, in his contract he had a – he has he's got like a thing where it's like if the pyro budget is 100k i've got to have 20% of it like that's <laughs> <laughs> so i'm always going to have this chunk of it uh no matter how much it is so <laughs> and and you mentioning that he is being more heelish fits with what we've seen in the development of this rivalry as we said the third one things got more personal and cody was acting in a far more you know a far more angry manner uh and in a far more aggressive manner in their third match and as we will see in this match that that only continues to ramp up big stare down at the start uh and they're way rougher in the early exchanges cody's like intentionally pushing darby around kind of sledging him a little bit as he as he does so and darby responds by like slapping him in the face in the back of the head where previously may have like taken the arm and, and been a bit more technical um so yeah like this is become more and more personal things have gone on there's a great spot where darby does like a springboard backflip off the ropes to launch himself uh into cody's back which i really liked but the the interesting thing was of course the first three matches we've made the point that darby was working a body part in this match it's cody that is the one working the body part going after darby's left arm this is the first time that he's done that in one of the matches one of these matches so he taking what has worked against him previously and what has gotten Darby close to him previously. And he is trying to take that on and use that against Darby. It's a long way from where they were in the first match where Cody's just sort of toying with him without really a plan on how, how he's going to do it. Just trusting that he's going to put him away. Absolutely. And, and it's, they feed this into the um, influence of Arn Anderson as well. Don't they hear they you know, saying that that's mm. how, what he's been taught by, um, mm. by Arn, you know, that the arm work is, very much like like Arn, they're really building mm. that that idea right yep. throughout. Um, but uh, what I thought was interesting in the start, you've, you've got that sort of dismiss, still a slightly dismissive nature of Cody in that opening exchanges. Like he, he does the little leg trip mm. and sort of almost looks at Darby as if say, ah, you should have known that was coming. Um, and you, you get a couple of moments in this where he's just like, yeah, you, I'm better than you now, and I'm I'm still am toying with you a little bit. But as you said, mm. Darby fire that the bit where he just slaps him around the back of the head is superb. It's just yeah, I mean, it's just not very pure wrestling, but it's absolutely in keep, keep, keeping with um with Darby's mm. character and how he how he reacts to Cody generally. Um, but as you said, the it's a very different approach from Cody in this. Um, and we we get the press ups again, um, which we only we saw that in the first mm. match. 
uh, and we see yep. it here. Um, which again, it's a, in the first match, he did it because he doesn't really know who Derby is. He doesn't respect him as much at that point. In the fourth match, it's because he thinks he's beaten him already, and he's because he's beaten him the previous two times. He's sort of gone full circle in in that. Um, and it, again, it's just well, it's very clever the way they uh, they, they weave those together. Well, I think a lot of this, like a lot of that from Cody, a lot of his bluster and his sort of arrogance in this is him trying to put Derby in his place because he knows that Derby is coming for him and coming for him really hard. And he knows that over the past few matches, he has caught up with him um, and, and is and he's on the precipice of beating him. And so he is doing everything he can to try and unsettle Derby and, and put Derby in his place where he hadn't previously in the, in the second and third match, he hadn't felt the need to do that. He, he sort of did in the first one just as a showboating thing. But in this, it's like almost a really desperate ploy for him to, to, to work the psychological game as much as he's working the physical game, which is, you know, where he is really focusing on that arm. There's this really cool bit where Darby like launches off the ropes, but Cody immediately grabs the arm and grounds him with the arm and uses Darby's momentum flying off the ropes to like enhance the impact on that. Uh, and there's that avalanche hammerlock that you mentioned that they they have they said was like an Arn Anderson move and and Derby as we've said we noted particularly in the first match his selling is just incredible uh, and and the fact that he like leans into the pain it, it just makes it even better because he just contorts and writhes and um, he even just his facial expressions are just so racked with pain. And and the interesting thing about this match, right, is Cody has things under control with his intense focus on the arm, but it's when that he he loses control when he goes for a moonsault. So when he loses focus on the arm and he goes for a moonsault, um, that allows Darby to roll away and avoid it, and that's when Darby gets back in the match. Absolutely. It's when he goes away from what's working that, that mm. you really lose out on this. And the moonsault, I'd say, is really the sort of the turning point in terms of Cody's approach to the match. From from there on in, he's again sort of showboating a lot more. He does there's a bit where he just sort of dismissively body slams Derby a few times, which isn't really actually doing very much in terms of the um, sort of hurting Derby at that point. But it's him showing off again. Um, it's, it's just becoming a bit more. And as you said, whether that's because he's his own insecurity in terms of what well, can I beat this guy, or whether he actually just thinks right, I'm, I'm done with him now. Mm. Um, you also get you know Arn shouting at, at Derby to stay down, stay down, which I think mm. the commentators build that up as part of the the psychological warfare as well, something that mm. Arn's always done in his uh, in his past. So um, mm. so yeah, it's, it's a very different pattern to the uh, to the other matches. Um, but as you said, Dar- yeah. Derby is brilliant in this. His selling of the arm is superb. There's a bit where he goes for the, the sleeper hold um, and he just c- can't even sort of cinch that in yeah. because it's, his arm so is good. basically, his arm is basically sort of dangling by his side. Um, and it's just, yeah, for, for someone that hasn't really been in wrestling for that long, that sort of level of selling is just, it's superb. Yeah. But the relentless nature of Derby when he's got that sleeper hold is, is emphasized by the fact that Derby, as he holds onto it, while Cody climbs up to the top turnbuckle and effectively does a coffin drop onto Darby with Darby on his back um, and, and just puts his whole body weight on Darby, which, as we've noted, is far bigger than what Darby's is. But Darby holds onto it the whole time because he's like, you can put me into pain, but I will survive longer than you will um, because I am tougher than you are. I'm more relentless than you are. Uh, and And we see at the end 
once again, we almost get back to where we were at the end of the first match where Cody is really frustrated that he can't put Darby Allen away. We get the avalanche crossroads and, and Darby manages to roll across the ring and get his feet under the rope. So he can't get that. And then we get um, Darby hitting a coffin drop for two. Um, Cody tries to backslide him like last time, but this time he kicks out at two. And then we get Cody taking off the belt uh, and going to use the belt the referee, Mike Kyoto, actually, for this one. I don't know if he's appeared in that many more AEW matches, but Mike Kyoto um, takes the belt off Cody and then Darby Allen uses it to trip him up. Um, and we get him going for the coffin drop, hitting the coffin drop, but Cody kicks out at two. Then we get a roll-up exchange, uh, which after a few, after a bit of back and forth, Darby manages to hold Cody down for the three count and Darby gets the win. What did you think of the ending of this match? It's a fascinating conclusion to all four matches, isn't it, really? Mm. That's that's how this comes across. Um, The coffin drop that Darby hits, he noticeably rolls away from Cody before going for the pin on that one because of what's happened in the third match. Mm. You've seen him learn from that. Um, Again, it's, it's not just thrown away that what happened mm. in that third match Darby is learning as well even though he's yep. this relentless scrappy um lunatic mm. in sorts of ways he's he is learning as he goes mm. um and then and that end sort of sequence of uh, um of pins is brilliant and the fact that Darby out wrestles Cody Rhodes who at mm. the start of the match is introduced as the prince of pro wrestling with yep. a, you know he out wrestles him at the end with that pin it's a superb mm. way to to end um the feud because I think it would have actually felt a bit hollow if um, Darby had won it with a um, with a coffin drop. Like he needed yep. to do something else. That the, the coffin drop hasn't worked in the previous matches, so mm. doing something else feels like the sort of necessary next step. And uh, yeah, it's just it's a superb conclusion to the to the feud as a whole. Yeah, and you mentioned how at the start of the match, Cody is introduced as the Prince of Pro Wrestling. At like the very start of their rivalry, they were talking up. Cody's credentials as like a former amateur wrestler, um, how he, you know, is very technically sound. He's brought on Arn Anderson to, you know, like give him that extra edge with the technique, with the gamesmanship. But but in the end, Cody isn't the one that wins the roll-up sequence. It's Darby. And I I really like that it's not done after the first one. Uh, They actually have a lot of back and forth. And the same pin, which is not something you normally see, um, they get the win on this one, uh, which was nice. I, I do think there's this right. Who knows what's going to happen with Cody Rhodes at this point? I do <laughs> think like there's there's room in this rivalry for like a fifth more emphatic win of Derby's. But I love how you do see Darby Allen catching up with Cody incrementally, and at this point, it is just like he's just snuck past him. Um, and in this match, you've got Cody going as focused as he's ever been against Darby Allen, as aggressive as he's ever been against Darby Allen. But Darby Allen, through the experiences that he's gained wrestling in AEW, the experience he's gained wrestling against Cody for the first three matches, he has been able to tilt the generation, have that generational shift. Um, and of course, Cody gets down on like one knee to present Darby Allen the belt, makes a big deal of it. I would love to see another match between these two, particularly after watching these four and the way that they've built so many things across these four matches. It's brilliant. Yeah, and you, you look at what 
each of those guys has got has done since then there's so much more in their their storyline yeah. now um you know we, we haven't even seen sting at this point for example like then that's where darby mm. is is now obviously darby's had his own tnt title run and everything mm. that went on that cody has yeah as you said disappeared into the cody verse at this point and mm. as you know, who knows where he's gonna to pop up um <laughs> but uh but yeah it would be absolutely superb to see a, another match between these two um and it's the sort of match that obviously we don't know what's happening with Cody, as you said, but it's the sort of match that you could see being a world championship match, not just on the, the TNT title list. So um, it, 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 would be, it would be good to see it again someday. Oh, man, I'm just getting chills thinking of Darby Allen finally being a world champion. Cody Rhodes has not been in AEW for many years, just full because gosh knows where Cody's going to end up at this point. Full disclosure, this is happening on the eve of Revolution um, 2022. That's when we're recording it. So, um, you know, maybe Darby, maybe Cody will turn up at WrestleMania. There's talks that maybe he's going to end up back at AEW at this point. So gosh knows what will happen. But, <laughs> you know, maybe there's a universe where down the line sometime Darby Allen becomes champion and who's the one that shows up but Cody Rhodes um to an open challenge um an open tv challenge um what a story that would be uh, across <laughs> these four matches what would you say your favorite of these matches is i think it is the fourth one um but it's actually quite hard to take them individually anyway because mm. the fourth one is great because of the first three um mm. i suppose the only one you can take individually really is the first one because it was the, the, mm. the first match between them um but i i think the the story they tell in this fourth match and and the, the actual wrestling ability in it as well. It's, it's just that, that you mentioned uh, the Avalanche Crossroads. That's superb the way they do that. Mm. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, not one I've seen a huge amount from Cody, and certainly I don't think I've seen anyone take mm. it as well as as Darby does. Mm. So I, I think overall the fourth match is the one that um, that I enjoyed watching the most, having watched them all again. But as I said, I mm. think it's because it's uh, it's it's part part four of four really. Yeah. If you'd asked me before. I sat down and watched all four matches for this podcast. I would have said the first one just because I loved the boldness of it. Uh, and I loved the way that it introduced Darby Allen. I thought it was bold. I thought it was brave. And and I thought it was a brilliant way to introduce someone who was going to be a big player. But now I've, I have to agree with you. Now I've watched all four, the way that all that these things sort of build off one another and then culminate in the fourth match. It's brilliant. It It is really an incredible series of matches and i was i was thinking about other rivalries like this one and i don't think there are too many that are like it um we've seen plenty of you know back and forth rivalries um where you know iconic rivalries even between generations um or even passing of the torch moments for example like you think like roddy roddy piper and bret hart or mr perfect and bret hart or um sean michaels and steve austin uh like those those sort of passing of the torch moments but they don't have the build-up that this one has uh and then you've got other other rivalries that are you know where one person loses for a long time and then finally gets the win like say masao kabashi uh but there's I, I, the only other cross-generational rivalry I can see that is like this that shows someone from a different generation coming in and slowly clawing their way to beating this guy is um, really rarefied air. 
um, Okada versus Tanahashi, which is slightly different um, because, of course, Okada gets the first win in that series, but then it's a matter of Tanahashi dominating and Okada catching up with him, but then Tanahashi still being able to win at the Dome and Okada having to catch him at the Dome. So it's got some similar beats, but in a different way. Can you think of anything else that that compares to to what these two did here? So they didn't complete this story in... in well, WWF it would have been the time, but mm. it very much reminds me of the the one two three kids versus Bret Hart's match. Yeah. Um, in terms of the way that you know, Bret doesn't have, you know, doesn't expect much from him, and then they go, mm. they almost do all of it in one match rather than across mm. four. Um, and I, yeah. I, off the top of my head, I, I don't think he goes on to to beat Bret, so mm. it doesn't have that same conclusion. Yeah. Um, but in terms of you know, you said rarefied air. The, the other one that I compare it to is actually Omega Ricardo. Um, which obviously mm. has four, yep. four matches as well. Um, it's not the same thing because you're not building up a character. Mm. Everyone knew who they were, but you do have that sort of three defeats for Omega before he eventually yep. becomes a card at the end. Um, mm. And it, again, in, in terms of the way they go back to reference the previous matches, um, mm. that's something obviously that Omega Ricardo do brilliantly. Um, and it's something that you see here. And as you said, it's hard to think of too many where they've actually kept that string going through across mm. is it what's well, over a, a year and a half is it that these four matches happen across you know it's yeah, yeah. it's very it, that thread that goes through them is uh it's pretty unique and the fact that we're talking about the likes of omega regarda tanahashi sort of shows how how highly regarded this uh this feud mm. should be yeah i, I just love how um because like omega Okada, they're very much the same generation uh, if yeah. they, in fact, Omega is older than Okada. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, not that I'm not saying that's not the thing. I I just think this feud is really unique in what it's doing, and uh, particularly because the other one I compared it to, of course, is Okada Tanahashi. Okada sets a trap for Tanahashi in the match, but he's very, uh, but they're still very clearly similar levels, even though Tanahashi is slightly ahead. Like in this the progression of these matches, you see someone who does go from a long way behind to just in front. As I said, I'd love to see like a fifth more emphatic win from Darby Allen and see what that would look like uh, at some point. The only other things I could think of were like outside of wrestling. It kind of reminded me of how um, like Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal in tennis interacted. You had Federer who was the king at the time. Nadal like was winning on clay and then slowly started to to beat Federer on other surfaces. And then you had Djokovic who came along and similar sort of thing. Um or or the other one I could think of was um Matt Hughes versus GSP in the UFC where you had for the welterweight championship Matt Hughes was a very dominant champion. Uh, and George St. Pierre coming up, he faced Matt Hughes, got beaten quite soundly. The second match they had was much, was was closer in GSP one, and then the set, the third one was much more emphatically a, a GSP win. But it just to go the fact that I have to go to like these exactly, legendary yeah. tennis <laughs> MMA rivalries for a comparison just shows how great this this thing is and how you almost unique it is. And I would love for people who are listening if you can think of other comparisons cross-generational the way that they build each other and, and you see Darby Allen catch Cody Rhodes I'd love to to hear what if anyone else has any thoughts on on other rivalries that are similar yeah absolutely so, like you said you're, it's a very unique one you can't reach for anything mm. 
obvious elsewhere and that, that just shows how how well they crafted this and, and actually I think credit has to be given not obviously not just to the two guys but to to AEW for doing this across such a long mm. period um we talked right at the start about sort of almost re-educating people on how to watch wrestling in a certain way mm. that there hadn't been this sort of long-term long-term mm. storytelling is a bit of a, a meme in itself these days but yeah uh, but there hasn't actually been this sort of long-term um storytelling relationship building between people in mm. certainly in wwe for a long yep. time it's very much a uh a, a japanese wrestling trope but not uh but not in the mm. in the west um so credit to them for and i i, I do think they had this in their mind from that first match mm. Um, I'm sure they had to deviate slightly. Obviously, you know, world events meant that they had to deviate yeah. slightly. Um, but uh, but no, I, I think they had this in their mind from the start, and and it just shows that when they, when it's mm. done well, it's just it's resting at its mm. best. Yeah, my hope is that um, because Dar- Darby Allen, he's an, a feud machine. He creates rivalries with like left, right, and center. I hope he has a similar rivalry with uh, John Moxley. Um, I, I want, I really want to see those guys link up again because they their first two matches are brilliant, particularly their second match for the AW Championship. Yeah. That's one of my absolute favorite AW. It's like my one of my hidden gems, and I can't wait to dig into it on this match. And and they haven't really. They've sort of interacted a little bit. I think they've had like some tag team action together. Um, I think John Moxley may or, or Darby Allen may have saved, like they may have made some saves for one another, but they haven't had a singles match since. And I, I would love to to see them lock up again in in a similar way to he's won the first two. I want to see where now now Darby Allen's had so much so much of this stuff going on uh, and has d- advanced so far. I want to see where they end up if they they face each other again. The other one, sorry, I just thought of um, was Omega and Hangman because they, they've they only had the two singles matches. Well, three actually if you count what they did in New Japan. Um, and, and you do sort of have that similar – that similar build and cross-generational thing going on there. Um, but de- definitely not – I don't think on the level that this one is in, in terms of the way that it emphasises the the coming of a new generation. Yeah, I mean, there's so much there, isn't there, for Derby? Just like yeah. you could put, put his name against it. Now, just as you were mentioning, yeah. I was thinking a, a Derby Allen versus Brian Danielson feud would be – Oh, my God. <laughs> so that, yeah, as you said, because you've got the, the cross-generational thing there as, and as well as the completely different approaches to, to life and to mm-hmm. everything. Um, that There's so much there. And obviously, he's already done great work with CM Punk on that that front yep. as well, that they could revisit that at some point. Um, yeah, he's he's a, an integral part of, of AEW, uh, which just looks – actually – how well they've done. I've actually got a t-shirt bet with someone that uh, Darby Allen gets a win over CM Punk before CM Punk finishes with AEW. So I think it's easy. I think it's the easiest t-shirt I'm ever going to get personally, but um, (laughs) (laughs) particularly after watching this rivalry. Um, My last question uh, is, do you think that someday down the line, Darby Allen becomes AEW champion? Uh, And if so, when does that happen? I think he will. I think he's that level of of AEW star now. I think the the fans would receive him as a champion. But again, no no one cares about mm. his size or you know feuds like this with mm. um, with Cody have, have built that up. When is a tricky one because there's you know, they do long term uh, title reigns. Um, there's obviously still a lot to do with Hangman. Um, MJF presumably is is got to be in that uh, that conversation mm. is and, and it, i would imagine would probably be there first um but again 
would that not be a great um, few to revisit for a world championship of MJF versus mm. Darby Allen? Um, but yeah, I, I certainly see him um, being in that uh, in that that story at some point, and I, I personally would love mm. to see him lift the title. And I think it would be a, a great story for AEW from from mm. where we were at the start of match one in this feud to to him lifting that title. Mm. I I do also I I agree with you. I think he's a few years away though. Uh, yeah. My only worry would be just given the reckless nature of how he wrestles, that his body <laughs> doesn't make it long enough. And you know, in many ways, he wrestles like a Joshi. You're a you're a big Joshi fan, and and one of the the things with Joshis is they do take some insane bumps. Like you watch a Stardom show, you're gonna see some people landing on their necks. <laughs> but because they're so slight and they're so much lighter than say like a, you know, a Kenny Omega even, who or a Kota Ibushi landing on their neck, the impact on their body is lesser, so they can absorb, I guess, more than what bigger blokes can. I I, I wouldn't want to change, like, but I wouldn't want to change the way that Darby Allen wrestles for the sake of uh, him wrestling longer, because and I don't think he wants to either. That's not in his nature. His nature, I think, will be to go at 100 miles an hour and then when the wheels fall off, the wheels fall off, and that'll be it. And that will be the only that will be the only reason I don't think he makes it to the AW Championship. He has mentioned that he wants to win the TNT Championship again. Uh, and as you said, given that like you know you've got MJF, he he's obviously going to be a world champion at some point. I imagine by the end of this year or or early next year probably. I I can see them having a feud, but I don't think Derby would win it straight away. I know some people have fantasy booked him as the champion who would take it off MJF. I, I don't think that would, that would be the case. I think you've also probably got in the works may, maybe a Sam Punk, something for Brian Danielson, a second John Moxley reign. Like there's a lot, there's a lot that you could do there. Um, and then you know maybe one day Cody Rhodes comes back and doesn't have this <laughs> ridiculous stipulation on his head that he can't challenge for the world championship. <laughs> who knows? Um, who knows what's going to happen in the future? That's it. I mean, there's you almost need Derby to try and get it a few times and fail. Yeah, to then, I agree. That's rather than the first time. Mm. Um, and you're talking there about his um, you know, potential for injuries, etc. I, I, I think he would benefit hugely from not getting injured, but actually going away for six months at some point. Um, yeah. And and because there is a risk with a character like his that you would get the oversaturation. Um, and a, you know, a, a returning Derby Allen um, would be superb the, the pop mm. for him coming back having not been on tv for for a while would be massive mm. um but basically we, we've therefore built in three different title reigns a rest of six months potential injuries that point for, uh, for him but no I, I would just i'd love to see him uh to, to lift that title yep um dan i've run out of the questions that i had down to ask is there anything else you'd like to to say about this feud this program uh, or, or the wrestlers involved before we call it a day. Uh, I think just to reiterate what we've said, just such a, a well done bit of business mm. across such a long period, um, and it, it's why I love AEW. Um, mm. it, they, in the last couple of years, I, New Japan has really fallen away for me in terms of what they they are delivering, partly because of the, the lack of crowds. I think, also, <laughs> I think they, I think they've also you know hit a bit of creative block with. Um, with Gato having done it for so long um, and I, it really does feel like AEW has taken over that mantle and, and I can't give them any more praise than that because mm. um, because when New Japan was doing this sort of storytelling it was 
superb and, uh, mm. and it's just it's great to see AEW doing it um and as, as we've just talked about there's so much more to come for Derby who knows what there is to come for Cody and uh and yeah I, I would love to see them go at it again at some point mm, absolutely I yeah I've said it a number of times this is a fantastic feud uh I I absolutely adore it particularly having sat down and watched them pretty much back to back uh you you do notice the nuance you notice how things have um how they've built on things and hopefully to to you guys listening at home hopefully we've been able to bring that out uh in talking about it today bit of a longer podcast than we've had before i think this is going to be the record but then again we are talking about four matches as opposed to one uh <laughs> so so that that is something uh dan where can the good people find you if uh, they've enjoyed what you've said today and they want to to follow you or, or find you the content that you produce? So you can find me on Twitter at Wrestling Rhymes, uh, and I'm writing quite a lot about uh, stardom at the moment on pro wrestling musings. I'm sort of focusing on um, power rankings and and sort of compiling the statistics there as well. So uh, I'd heavily recommend anyone to to get into stardom and, and other Joshi wrestling if you haven't already. It's uh, it really is. It's fantastic, and particularly at the moment, stardom is is really about to hit uh, a mm. huge few months. Yep. Uh, stardom is something that I have down as, like, if only I had an extra few hours in my week. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's so much wrestling around. and At, the, at this point, AEW is pretty much all I watch um, in terms of wrestling, unless something, you know, a match or something pops up on the radar in the in the zeitgeist out there. Uh, but, yeah, definitely, definitely would recommend going, going to Pro Wrestling Musings. They do some of the most unique and interesting stuff on the internet. And... Funny you should say that because next week uh, I've actually got the owner and the founder of Pro Wrestling Musings on the podcast, Craig Williams, and we're looking at Dax Harwood versus Jungle Boy, um, which is a match where we will really dive deeply into the statistics of it and the real um, breakdown of the match composition. Uh, And it's it's a fantastic deep dive into that. uh, And Craig is is a really great guest. So make sure you join us next week for that. Um, But yeah, look, follow Dan. Dan's a great follower. He's He's a great lad on Twitter. Um, to to have some conversations about uh, about wrestling with. And you can find me, of course, on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. As I said at the start, if you have enjoyed what we've done today, you can follow, you can rate and review the podcast on the podcast app of your choice. You can also recommend it to a friend, um, post about it on social media, do anything to get the good word out there. Uh, and if you want to support us here at the Social Suplex Podcast Network, you can go to redcircle.com. You can just Google social suplex or aw match guide and you can actually donate to us um to help keep the lights on and keep the bills paid here however dan it's been fantastic having you on today i do appreciate the time uh, i appreciate you going back and and looking at these matches and having having a good chat to me about it um so thank you very much for being on today and thank you to the listeners out there for listening i really appreciate it and i look forward to seeing you again next week cheers bye for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts 
discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.